This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 249th episode of the podcast. That means next week we are at 250, and 250 is going to be something special. If you've been around for a while, for the last 248 episodes, uh, you know that for every 50 episodes, I've done something a little bit different, changed up the format of the podcast. But uh, two weeks from now, so episode 251, that is going to be another Accusations podcast. And those uh, episodes are opportunities for me to interact with questions, comments, and accusations from you, the listener or reader of castingacross.com. So if you have anything that you want to submit for interaction, uh, Matthew at castingacross.com. Matthew at castingacross.com can be a question about something I've talked about. It could be a completely random question, or it could be just your perspective on something that I have treated on Casting Across in either the written or spoken forms. So a couple of interesting episodes coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, kind of on a, a similar note, I do appreciate all of the new listeners that I, I have received, both here and internationally. I've had a, a good uh, run of folks tuning in from uh, particularly from a couple of different parts of Europe. And so thank you for listening to Casting Across. And uh, if you appreciate it, uh, then leave a review on iTunes and also rate it. That gets it in front of more ears. And uh, you doing it is how it's going to happen because uh, marketing and SEO and all that sort of stuff is just not how I want to spend my time. So I'd rather just create content and uh, let the algorithm do it. And so you, you are the ones who steer the algorithm. So all right. Well, I'm going to talk about things I know a little bit more about. And uh, today we're going to talk about fly fishing gear and we're going to talk about modifying fly fishing gear. Now, what do we talk about when we talk about modifying? If you ever get on YouTube, which inevitably everyone gets on YouTube, you know that there's lots of videos about how to modify things that you buy off the shelf. Uh, in the last uh, few months, I have watched videos about modifying Nerf guns with my kids. I have uh, watched a video about modifying some car parts to make them more efficient. 
Um, I've even watched a video about modifying the carburetor for a uh, leaf blower. So there's, there's lots of things that you can do with something that works totally fine. Uh, it's a perfectly serviceable product that you buy off the shelf or you buy online and it shows up at your door or you bring it home. But then there's a few things that you can do to tweak it to make it a little bit better overall, more efficient, more effective, or to make it fit your situation even better than it did when you bought it. So that can be done with fly fishing gear. Now, I'm not going to be talking about cutting fly rods. I'm not going to be talking about remachining fly reels, nothing that requires specialized equipment. And in fact, some of these things are like really lowercase m modifications, but they're things that for two reasons. One, um, if you're a new angler, you might not know you can do this. <laughs> it might be the most common sense thing, but uh, I, I just wanted to share it because it could be helpful. Uh, and secondly, if you've been fishing for a long time and you've always been frustrated with something, but you just you're not the kind of person that likes to you know pull out the tools, or you're not the kind of person who likes to tinker with stuff. These are some very simple things that can be done. That is not going to damage your equipment. Is not going to uh, you're not going to be out any money if you do these things. So I just want to share these four four simple things that I have done uh, a number of times that I have found very helpful. And they're things that I didn't do initially. They're things that I, after a while said, you know what, this is, this is how I'm going to do this. And it has really made a difference in just simple conveniences. And once again, the effectiveness and efficiency of my time on the water. So the first one, something I wrote an article about a few years ago, and it's interesting that the, uh, the, the, the fly rod industry, or excuse me, fly fishing industry has actually created products that kind of fill this niche in the, in the meantime. Inevitably, this is something that they've, they've done over in Europe. I just wasn't aware of, but now you see a couple of American manufacturers doing it. And what is that? Well, with the dawn of Euro nymphing uh, here in the United States, and it's taken the world by storm, and it's uh, something that I, I don't know if we've kind of crested that wave. It seems like uh, there, there's less products because, I mean, how many, you know, 12 foot three weights can you really make and how many uh, reels that uh, are, are more meant for a holding line than and being a particular weight can can you really produce but urine nymphing is a very effective way to catch fish but you find yourself in this interesting situation where you are having a high stick posture you're holding a long you know 11 12 maybe even 13 foot fly rod up for a long period of time now, what happens if you have a three-weight reel on an 11-foot rod? Well, that thing is going to be very tip-heavy. Not so heavy that it's going to fall out of your hand or the tip is going to fall in the water all the time because you're unable to keep it up, but it's not going to be balanced well. And when you're talking about mere ounces, you know, a few ounces for a fly rod and a few ounces for the reel, if it's not balanced right, it is going to lead to fatigue over the course of the day. If you are high stick nymphing, as one does with Euro nymphing, or even with certain traditional Western nymphing styles. On the other hand, if you are fishing with an older bamboo or fiberglass rod, or maybe even a more contemporary bamboo or fiberglass rod, and you have a super lightweight reel, whether it be machined or whether it be something that is die cast, there is a chance that that rod is going to feel very heavy in hand. I've talked about this before on the podcast about how rods that feel incredibly light and responsive and crisp, even if they are fiberglass or bamboo, when you're just shaking them around in the shop or when you're playing with them before you're fishing with them, once you get on the water, they start to feel a little bit clunky. Well, inevitably, that's going to be because they're now bearing the load and the weight of the line. But another reason for that is that we are used to well-fit rods and reels, well-balanced 
balanced rods and reels. And more often than not, if you're fishing a nine foot, five weight graphite rod and you buy a normal trout reel, it's going to be pretty balanced. But if you're fishing an older fiberglass or bamboo rod and you throw on a brand new, incredibly lightweight reel, that is going to feel tip heavy. So you have these two circumstances that I just mentioned, these two situations. One, uh, you're an nymphing, and two, if you're fishing with a heavier, kind of a, a maybe even a softer rod, it's going to have the the, the feel of a heavier, a, a weightier rod, but it has to do with the action and the way that that taper is distributed along the, the blank of that, that rod. You're going to have these two situations where your reel is too light. Now, it might be, you know, four ounces or five ounces, uh, and your rod might be around that same thing. But if it feels like that rod tip is pulling itself down uh, as you're holding it, uh, maybe parallel with the water, or you, there's that old uh, trick of, of trying to balance a rod on your finger. And if you're having to move your finger really, you know, six, eight, ten, a foot, away from the tip of the cork as you're moving towards the rod tip, then that rod is not balanced optimally. Does this mean that you're not going to be able to fish with it or you're not going to be able to catch fish on it? Absolutely not. Does this mean that your arm is going to fall off after a day of fishing a well, an, an improperly balanced rod? No, but there is a simple solution. You can buy lead tape. What's lead tape? Lead tape is simply weighted tape. Um, the easiest place to get it, um, where you're not going to have to look very hard, if you go to a craft store, uh, they have it for uh, like Pinewood Derby cars that like Boy Scouts and, and other you know kids activities use. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking about the actual little lead weights they have to screw on. There's a lead tape, and it is going to be a matter of ounces. You can also buy this at uh, at big box fishing stores. There's a number of applications that people use it for in outdoor pursuits. But the, the easiest and cheapest I found it is in the uh, Pinewood Derby uh, car section at craft stores. And you take that tape. And the best place to put it, in my humble opinion, is on the inside of your spool. Now, if you do this, so this is before you put backing on, on your line, you can take it and you can apply it to the inside of your spool. Now, if you do this, you want it to be perfectly distributed. So you don't want your spool to be too heavy on one side and not have any weight on the other. So if you can cut a little strip and you make it so that it runs the entire uh, diameter of your the inside of your spool, now you've added maybe a quarter of an ounce or a half an ounce and that is going to add enough weight to balance off that rod a little bit better. Now, I, I, you know, to be to be truthful about this, it is going to take a little bit of of tinkering if you want it to be perfect. But something else you could do is you could apply that weight right below the uh, foot of the reel, kind of towards the butt of of the rod. Uh, there's a couple of places you can put it, but if you're finding that it's a not a perfect balance. Adding a little bit of weight using something like this uh, is, is a great way to do it. Now, as I said on the outset, uh, they have come out with reels that actually do this. You can add weight and take away weight uh, at a moment's notice so that you can actually use the same urinymphing reel on different urinymphing setups. Um, and you're not having to take all the line and backing off to add or remove weight. You can just add weight uh, as needed. So it's a simple thing, a matter of a few dollars. It can really make a rod and reel combo feel better in your hand. The second modification, which is a little bit less invasive, but probably has higher stakes, is applying studs or spikes to your wading boots. Applying studs or spikes to your wading boots. So if you have a pair of wading boots that are simply felt sole, which, you know, the, the science on that is, is well, I'm not going to get into it right now. 
whether they're felt soles or they're rubber soles, and they don't have studs. Uh, they don't have little pieces of metal sticking out the bottom, uh, and you want more traction, then it is very, very easy to add spikes or studs to those. Now, uh, fly fishing companies will make their own branded little studs. They look like little screws uh, that you can you can pop into the bottom of your boots, and those are totally fine to use. More often than not, they're going to be a little bit expensive. Now, if your safety and your stability is absolutely worth, you know, $35 for a little cup of screws or whatever it might be these days. Um, but you can buy uh, spikes online. And if you go online and you you Google what is the best uh, spikes to add to the bottom of wading boots, you're going to get a particular brand of spikes that are made for people who ride motorcycles on ice. And I haven't really even taken the time to explore exactly how that works, but that's what these little spikes are for. Now, the great thing about these is that they're an aggressive spike, so you're not going to want to walk on the front porch of the cabin that you're renting uh, in these boots. You're definitely not going to want to walk around your living room with them. Uh, probably aren't going to want to even, uh, you know, drag them across the uh, uh, inside of your car, but they are very aggressive spikes and they are made out of a material that is not going to rust. Now, the issue with rusting is, of course, you know, rusting is going to create a degraded spike that will eventually fall out. And now it's not going to be as easy to put another spike back into that same hole. But that's really the the, the most difficult part of the process uh, is, is putting them in the bottom of your shoe. Uh, buying them is the easy thing. Putting them in the bottom of your shoe uh, is it's important to check out what the patterns of these spikes placements are on manufacturers shoes. So you'll notice that there are spikes that are usually put around the toe and then around the outside of the foot and then kind of spaced out from there. Uh, you will notice that there are benefits to having them in different places. And there are also benefits based upon your needs. If your purpose is stability, if you have a physical limitation or you just have a, a certain weakness and you want more stability, then placing it outside on the perimeter of your foot is going to help with that because as you have those movements with simply as you move uh, just kind of uh, laterally and, and front to back as you're standing, as you're trying to stand still, um, especially if you're in the current, then having that perimeter is going to help you as you move those little lateral movements is going to provide that support uh, in the water, whether it be on rock or whether it be on a different sort of surface. So if you are looking for something that allows you to move a little bit more efficiently and effectively, then you front load them towards your toe. But it's always important to make sure you're using the right length spike. The last thing you want to do is have the sharp end of the spike that goes into your footbed uh, coming through the sole and uh, ending up where your neoprene waders are going to be, or more importantly, your foot. So it's important to make sure that you're using a relatively uh, short uh, screw head that goes into the bottom of your boot. Um, if, if you want to cut out all the guesswork, then don't buy them from a uh, online uh, company. Uh, buy them directly from the manufacturer of your fly fishing boot. And you'll notice that actually a, a number of fly fishing companies who make uh, studless boot soles for their wading boots will actually have spots that are specially designated to receive those spikes, which makes it easier. But even when you do that, you don't have to put one in every hole. You can uh, place them as needed. Okay, so first thing, adding weight to reels or really to, to rod butts. Uh, secondly, uh, putting the spikes or the studs on the bottom of your wading boots. The third one is something that I 
think everyone should do. Uh, I'm not going to make anyone do it. I'm not going to make it a hard and fast rule, but I think everyone should do it. When you buy a knotless tapered leader, which are great, and I use knotless tapered leaders like 75% of the time. The other 25% of the time, well, let me take that back. 75% of the time, knotless tapered leaders. Uh, 20% of the time, uh, I'm using uh, frilled leaders. And then the whatever the remainder is, my math there, 5%, I am building them from scratch with uh, some heavy-duty fluorocarbon for certain saltwater applications. But uh, I like taking knotless tapered leaders, whether they be mono or they be fluorocarbon, and whether it's a nine foot leader or seven and a half foot leader, I will take a little bit of zero X tippet and I will find where that knotless tapered leader's diameter is right about zero X and I will snip it off. I will cut that thing as soon as it comes out of the package. Well, usually as soon as I put it on the, uh, uh, the end of my fly line. Uh, and then what I'll do is I'll tie that section right back on there using a nice solid uh, blood knot. Why do this? Why introduce a knot into uh, a knotless leader? Because, of course, a, a unmolested piece of monofilament or fluorocarbon is going to be stronger than a knotted one. Why do that? Well, uh, for most of my applications I'm going to run into, really, whether it be incredibly large warm water fish or even saltwater fish, certainly trout, uh, having a knot in what is basically, uh, you know, 15 pound test is not going to be a problem. But what I like is having a point that I know this is where the value of this product comes in. The value of a knotless tapered leader is not necessarily that you have this foolproof, uh, set it and forget it, uh, uh leader material. Uh, you, that butt is really where the magic happens. Having that tapered section of really heavy-duty, stiff butt section down to about 0x is where I find you get your most value. Because what that enables you to do is buy a $5 knotless tapered leader, throw it on the end of your fly line, and then you only have to carry tippet 0 to, I mean, I carry 0 to 7x with me all the time. Because what that allows me to do is now I can build any kind of leader that I want to build off of that knotless tapered leader. And I know precisely where when I'm on the water that zero X section begins. So if I'm fishing for midges or fishing with midges for gently rising trout, then I can build off from that zero X point. And again, I, I might have that brand new leader material still tied on at that knot. So I've got another you know, nine feet of, of leader that tapers down to six X, or I could have been doing all sorts of stuff over the last few months, fishing in all different ways. And I clip all the way back to that knot and I start to build up my seven X, uh, you know, probably 12 foot midge leader that I'm going to use. Or if I'm fishing for midges and all of a sudden I see a really big fish or I get to see an undercut bank and I really want to throw a big meaty streamer, then I go all the way back to that that knot and you know maybe keep on a section of what's 1x and then I build off like a 2 or 3x leader off of that and now I've got a 7 foot streamer leader. But what that that butt section does is it, it does it gives me that flexibility on the water, but it also means that I don't have to buy again. It's not crazy money, but it, it is easier, especially if you're getting started or you have limited uh, finances or you have limited space or you just want to mess with it. You don't have to buy all of those different uh, diameters of leader material to build out your own leaders from butt section to tip using that three, four foot section of knotless 
uh, tapered leader is going to give you everything you need in a butt section and a transition so that you can do any and all kind of fishing that you want to do, particularly when it comes to warm water. Um, I like to build my saltwater leaders out from scratch, but that's I, I'm not sure why I do that, but that's what I've always liked doing. Um, it gives me control of all of my knots, especially that um, that the terminal end of my fly line uh, into my my leader. Uh, I like to be in control of that. So uh, don't worry about cutting a brand new uh, leader because I mean, the fact of the matter is we've probably all taken one on the package and tried to hastily attach it to the end of our fly line and gotten the thing completely snarled up anyway. So this is just you taking control of that. And one last thing on that, on that note, um, having that nice, strong, well-tied knot at, at the end of the, uh, butt section, uh, that also gives you a spot where if things get completely snarled up because you've, you know, got yourself all tangled from a bad cast or if a fish snaps it off and it comes springing back at you, uh, you can just cut off beneath that and say, okay, um, I'm not even going to mess with trying to spend 20 minutes untying this this rat's nest. It's easier to tie, you know, three or four uh, blood knots or surgeon's loops than it is to try to untie this whole thing. And I know that if I cut off here, then I'm going to start at my 0x point or my 1x point or whatever it may be. Okay, so we talked about weight on rod butts. We talked about uh Spur spurs spikes on boots and uh, you could wear spurs on boots i mean if you uh you know you ride your horse down the creek or you're riding a trout or something like that and then thirdly um talked about the uh modification of a a knotless taper leader by tying a knot pretty crazy lastly this one's simple because we're we're almost at 20 minute point uh flies don't be afraid to modify your flies. Now, you will need a special piece of equipment to do this and do this well. And that special piece of equipment is a pair of fine scissors. So that's one more thing to carry with you. And it's something I would encourage you to carry sheaths, not to have sharp fine scissors just jangling around your backpack or hanging off of a zinger on, uh, on your vest. But you can always take something off of a fly. You can rarely add something onto a fly. I mean, somebody might, you know, tie a, a, another feather on while they're fishing. I've just never encountered that. Well, when and why would you do this? There's better times to do this and worse times to do this. There's been times, like for example, I had some hexagenia, some, some big brown drake flies that uh, I had in my box uh, one year fishing that hatch in Pennsylvania on some spring creeks. And the fish were just refusing anything bushy. Basically, I think what it came down to is they were they were really going after emergers and they were going after drowning uh, flies. So I took my uh, forceps that had a little bit of a scissor uh, blade in them and I trimmed that thing down and just butchered it. And so it was the ugliest fly. Thankfully, I was fishing at um, dusk and all of a sudden I started catching lots of fish. So I took a completely healthy, pretty good-looking traditional uh, dry fly, and I cut it down and made it look just absolutely ugly. But I caught fish with it. So that fly was basically ruined after using it. But again, you know, that, that's what the flies are for. Um, but there's other times where this can be beneficial. One example is uh, if you are fishing uh, streamers that are composed of uh, synthetic materials. So thinking about a um, maybe like a clouser that's tied with EP fibers. Um, you can tie a certain length, and if you notice that you're getting short strikes uh, on that fly, then you can take that fly and you can, you know, comb it out using your fingers, and you can create a new 
tail on that fly. So say it's a one-knot hook and you've tied a five-inch fly, then you now you know straighten that fly out and it, with the same angle of the original cut when you tied that fly or the fly shop tied when they tied that fly, uh, you can now make it a three-and-a-half or a four-inch fly. With a synthetic fiber, the benefit of that is that you are not uh, messing up the profile of a feather. So if, if this is a um, like a deceiver that's tied with with hack with rooster feathers, uh, you can't do this. I mean, you can. It's just going to be ugly as sin, and it, it'll work in a pinch. And if you catch fish, then I guess that's fine. But it's going to really mess up the the action, the profile, and the, and the look of that fly. But if you're dealing with synthetic fibers on streamers, this is a great thing to do. Another time that this is uh, a, an idea that you can pursue is, like I said before, when it comes to fishing dry flies. This is one that you, you're probably going to ruin the fly, but in a pinch, it's going to work. Uh, so say you have, you've tied bushier dry flies and the fish are really going after things that are sitting more level in the surface of the water. Now there's things that you can do. You can uh, grease your leader and allow that dry fly to sink. Um, you can carry a greater diversity of flies in your, in your box, but in a pinch you can go and you can, you can trim in a couple of ways. You can trim that fly so that um, there is no hackle that is extending below the body. So it basically looks flattened off on the bottom. You can go in and you can trim off the top and the bottom. So it's almost like a T shape. Um, and you'll see some uh, crippled flies that are tied this way. Um, you can you can trim it so that it really only has a, a, a post and it becomes basically a parachute dry with with two wings. But having a sharp pair of scissors on hand allows you to make modifications that are either going to kind of take that fly down as collateral damage or simply change the, the, the look of that fly. Um, and this is something that is worth it, no law against it. There's no one sa that says that you can't do this. And actually, there are times where this will get you on a fish where you weren't going to get on a fish. Uh, another example, uh, another anecdote for, for this, because I, I can probably continue to think about uh, times I've done this. Uh, fishing uh, for Great Lakes Steelhead, um, and they were just being so stinking finicky. I continued to trim down and trim down and trim down a glow bug until it was basically a uh, it's like a size 14 hook with just the barest minimum uh, orange fuzz around it. I mean, it, it looked more like a a um, a sunk orange woolly worm or not a woolly worm, but like an inchworm, uh, then it did a glow buck at this point. But I continued to trim down, trim down, trim down until finally they said, oh, this is the size that we want. And I started catching fish. Um, and I was able to do that because I had a pair of scissors on me. Um, you can try it with your nippers, you can try it with your forceps, but just carrying a pair of scissors gives you that flexibility to modify your fly on the fly. All right, so those are four things that don't require a whole lot of specialization, don't really require a whole lot of money. The spikes are going to be the most expensive thing. But uh, hey, when was the last time you said that you got online and you bought spikes that are made for, um, you know, for ice motorcycle racing? Okay. Anyway, uh, if you have any questions about that, if you do something similar to this uh, that you would like me to know about, maybe talk about next uh, episode, not next episode, but the following episode, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. This week on the podcast, the first article was River Apollo 6, River Apollo 6. So this is the sixth installment of the River Apollo narrative series. Um, I've found that folks are reading this and hopefully they are enjoying it. And I'd like to see kind of what, where, where this goes. It's fun to write a story that uh, you don't necessarily have to nail down in, in, in one moment. And you can kind of allow things to adapt and, and change as you're thinking through things. It's a good way to write. Wednesday's article was called Fish Art Appreciation. 
fish art appreciation. So I tell a story of three paintings. Well, one is a painting, two are prints uh, that I look at every day. So do you have fish art hanging up? Uh, what's the story? Uh, it's it's fun to think about that. And, uh, you know, it could be that you just bought it at home goods. But uh, if you like it, then that's that's really what makes art uh, worth appreciating. This week's recommendation on the podcast is for something I'm not going to use, uh, but it is worth mentioning. So I've talked about scissors on the podcast today, and the scissors that I use for fly tying for all of my precision work are made by Loon. Comfortable grips, nice wide holes for my fingers, even though I don't have particularly large hands, um, and nice sharp blades right out of the package. And they're affordable. Um, but they've just come out with uh, the left-handed version of their Urgrove scissors. So their main scissors, they now make a left-handed version of it. Uh, I don't think much about left-hand stuff, except for the fact that definitely one and maybe two of my children are left-handed. My oldest is left-handed, and I'm thinking my youngest might be. But, you know, when you're four, you just kind of do anything any way you can. But this is a great thing to have on hand if you are left-handed. Uh, it allows the blades to be oriented appropriately for holding those uh, scissors with your left hand. So uh, as you know, good pair of scissors, whether you're in the kitchen or whether you are sewing or whether you're tying flies, they're going, they're going to be oriented where the top blade engages in a certain way with the bottom blade with what you're working with. Uh, additionally, with the way that the thumb hole and with the finger holes uh, allow you to to manipulate them, uh, the, the finger holes inevitably being larger than that thumb hole to allow you to put your first and second digit um, of your hand into them. So this is a left-handed pair of the main scissors that Loon sells, the Ergo left-handed all-purpose scissors. They come in at $19. $19. So that is a very good price for a quality pair of fly tying scissors. And they come in their um, trademark loon yellow and black. So I'll put a link to the Ergo left-handed all-purpose scissors on this podcast show notes on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.